Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot. We charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Thanks for listening to Creative Control. Uh, while I have you here, please consider supporting Youth Empowerment and Support Services, otherwise known as YES. Based in Edmonton, Alberta, YES provides immediate and low-barrier overnight and day shelter, temporary supportive housing, and individualized wraparound supports for young people aged 15 to 24. They work collaboratively within a network of care focused on the prevention of youth homelessness by providing youth with the necessary supports to stabilize their housing, improve their well-being, build life skills, connect with community, and avoid re-entry into homelessness. Learn more about how to donate or otherwise support YES by visiting YESS.org. This is Dmitry Samarov from Chicago, Illinois. And I love listening to Vishkana's creative control because whether he's talking to a favorite musician or actor of mine or someone I've never heard of, it's as if he's introducing me to a new friend. And the way things are going, couldn't you use a new friend? Listen now. To make your flexible monthly donation to Creative Control, please visit patreon.com slash creative control today. Yorgos Ruiz, Jim White, and Guy Picciotto are each gifted musicians and friends who each originally hail from Crete, Melbourne, and Washington, D.C., respectively. Over the past 10 years, Picciotto has been engineering and producing music made by Yorgos and Jim, who perform truly remarkable live shows under the name Sluris White and have released five stunning albums to date. Their latest record is called The Forest in Me, which is available in Australia and New Zealand via Remote Control Records and elsewhere via Drag City on April 14th, 2023. To celebrate this momentous occasion, George, Jim, Gee, and I connected for a talk about things like uh, how they began to make this new music together at the end of 2019, and then, while far apart from each other, throughout the most isolating time of the COVID-19 pandemic, their collaborations with the filmmaker Rebecca E. Marshall, 
how Jim and George were each compelled to learn how to record their own instruments and work with Guy to create The Forest in Me, Slurus White's curious way of capturing music and their fascinating relationship with time, a disruptive thunderstorm in Crete that may or may not have impacted this very conversation, how Jim and George and Guy view Guy's actual role in Slurus White, a new way to pick a song, future plans, and much more. A part of the Entertainment One network with the support of listeners like you who follow and subscribe to this podcast and spread the word about it and make flexible monthly donations at patreon.com slash creative control, which is the primary source of revenue for all the work that goes into this podcast. If you like the show and you want to support it financially, that would be nice. You can do so at patreon.com slash creative control. Thank you. Plus in-kind support from uh, Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee respectively, in Guelph, Ontario, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton, Ontario. This is episode 768 of Creative Control, featuring the lovely and talented George, Jim, and Gee from Slurus White, with your host, me, Vish Khanna. Uh, hi, George. How's it going? Good wish. How are you doing? I'm well. Thank you so much for asking. Where in the world are you today? I'm in Crete, in ah. Arhanes village outside of Heraklion. It is so lovely to have you join uh, us from Crete. That is, sorry, uh, here it's, uh, what is it, like 1 p.m. What time is it in Crete? Uh, <laughs> 9, 9, 10. Oh, okay, good. So you're not super yeah. late. Not super late. You're... But I no, appreciate no. it. It's okay. Good. No. It's good. It's very nice to see you again, George. Thank you so much, uh, Jim. Where in the world are you? In New York. Ah, how are things going in New York for you today? Not bad. Okay, good. Nice to see you too. You're keeping well. You look good, nice you, if Rich. I might say. It's nice Thank to see much. you on the thing. You look great. Thank you. <laughs> um, yes, I just got back to New York a few days ago from playing some shows with Bill Callahan. Oh, lovely. Congratulations on that uh, reality. Is reality? Am I saying that right? I know it's backwards. I think it's called reality. That's a lovely record. If and you I can was, say it backwards, I'm, I'm impressed, but I, I have no I word should, on the official line. <laughs> I should figure that out. No, it's lovely. You're, you're playing, uh, as you know, Jim, I always love your playing. It spoke to me right away. Uh, I was like, Thank oh, this much. is clearly Jim. I didn't have all the notes. So anyway, that's great. That's good. And Guy, you're here somewhere. Where in the world are you? I am... On the other side of the park from Jim, in uh, Brooklyn, in uh, the bunker underneath my house. It does look bunker-like, if I may say. Uh, how are things? It's, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I come out on occasion. I, can't, I come out on occasion, but not often. Do you and Jim meet in the park frequently that, that uh, separates your places? We do. Yeah. We, yes, we do. Pigeon feeding. What, do you, what kinds of stuff do you guys do in the park? Go for a walk, talk. Yeah. Walk and talk. That's great. That's great. And things in yeah. Brooklyn are pretty good these days, Guy? How's, how's, how's it feeling there? Yeah, quite well, actually, yes. Um, yeah. It's been an exciting week. I saw Jim play with 
Bill Callahan like a week ago. And then I also saw the Unwound reunion show here in New York. That was phenomenal as well. And I'm going to see the Mesthetics on Monday, which is my former bandmates, Brendan and Joe. So it's a very active cultural moment here in the city. That's lovely. You're getting out and about. Is that is that yeah. sort of new for you, or have you been going to shows this whole time that we've been, you know? Whatever? No, it, it's um, occasionally I would go, but I'm kind of I'm kicking into a slightly new gear. I think, yeah, yeah. Well, good for you, and and Unwound and Soulside, all these bands coming back. I've noticed too, which is kind of fun. I would think for you, is it is yeah. emotional? I assume to not very you know. emotional, very yeah, yeah. Coming back with with great gusto. <laughs> <laughs> yes, absolutely. That's great. Well, yeah. listen, uh, speaking of Gusto, I'm so happy to have you all here uh, to talk about this wonderful new uh, record, The Forest and Me. Um, I want to begin by framing this the best I can. I believe, and I'll, I'll go to Jim on this first. Generally, when you three convene, you're always in the same room uh, making records together. Jim, is that accurate? Like, l- largely, George and I. The three of us are in the same room often for some, some, and then sometimes George and I are in the same room. And no, it's all variations, I think, right? Is that right, everyone? Well, I, I meant specifically for recording purposes. The albums we've heard thus far, uh, it's the three of you. Yeah. Is that right, Guy? You've, you're all kind of together. I mean, before now, yes. Yeah. Yes, we were. Yeah. Um, mo- the majority of the records were recorded. Um, Actually, actually, we've done, I guess, three different studios, but all of us in the, you know, either here in this bunker that I'm in right now, yeah. or we did one record in Melbourne together in oh, Australia, yeah. and we did yeah. another record in, uh, in Queens. Queens and Queens. So we've done a few different places, but generally, yes, with all of us in yes. the same room. Right. But this record is the first one, you're correct, where we, while some of it was recorded in the same room, not all of it was, and there's a, a quite a few of the tracks were, were completed in... Uh, novel formations that we had never used before yes absolutely yeah so i just wanted to clarify that fact because that was my understanding um and so from what i understand the forest and me began with jim and Guy. you were tracking drums together and what i read was late 2019 so before this whatever we're going through so i want to i don't want to leave george out here but i want to begin with that Guy. that was obviously right away that was a kind of a different thing what was the intention behind you and jim just getting together and playing, you know, tracking drums uh, without George there. I actually went back and I looked at like, because uh, the the history of the last few years is is very tangled in my head. Yeah. So I, ha- I was like, I better go back and try to revisit the sequence of communications that would help me remember this whole thing. But at some point in 2019, I think Jim was just in town and we were like, why don't we just, you know, fool around and see if we can come up with some, you know, stuff like let's just start recording drums and so that was the first thing that happened in 2019 towards the end of the year and then very quickly at the beginning of 2020 things got as we all know very very fucked up and my wife was supposed to be starting a tour right when the pandemic hit she got on a plane came home immediately was sick with like probably the one of the earliest cases and she was in isolation and soon things got very very squirrely and and i was looking at these old emails and at a certain point, Jim is in Australia, George is in Creed, and I'm in here in Brooklyn, and we're sending emails to each other that reading them now just seem like science fiction. I mean, they're just like, you know, illness counts. And when the the lockdown was moving and kind of it started in New York and then things eased up here, then suddenly Jim was in lockdown and then George was in lockdown. So it was like we were all kind of in communication. But at the same time, we also had had a bunch of projects that had been – 
starting to unfold. Like I'd started realizing I'd forgotten about this. We had a bunch of different film projects. Um, Jim's sister, Anna White, had worked on a film called uh, In My Father's Garden. And so that became something that we thought we might be able to work on while we were isolated from each other, just like find some music that might help with that project. And then there were other film projects. And we started thinking like, oh, maybe we can use this time to start working on soundtracks and different stuff. And then we had some of this solo drums that Jim had had cut with me when we were just like, we basically the way we would work was we would just like throw the ideas at each other and just start tracking drums and then start editing them and messing around with things. But we never, it was just, you know, just like play, you know, just trying to see what we had. So we had all these different balls in the air in 2020 film projects that we were working on, uh, some of this stuff that we'd already started working on. And so we just tried to find ways to maintain some kind of semblance of creativity with each other. And I think the big thing that happened was, and it became the name of the record, was a movie called The Forest in Me. Jim and, and George had gotten in touch with this filmmaker named Rebecca E. Marshall. Mm-hmm. And she had seen, she had seen, I think, Jim and George in 2019 play in Athens and she was really blown away by their music. And she had been working on this film called The Forest in Me. And she got in touch with the band and asked if they wanted to work on um, music for it. Hmm. So that became another thing for us to kind of throw our attention into. And, and that became a really interesting way of working because we were all looking at visuals from the film and then communicating together and trying to assemble music that might support that. And so basically, we had all these different projects and ways of working and then Jim and George both started learning how to engineer for themselves. So our, our emails are really funny. They'll be like, you know, horrible dystopian <laughs> pandemic nonsense, then some mundane stuff, and then technical stuff about how engineering. And yeah. it was very interesting, you know, the way it all worked out. So those are all kind of the different threads that kind of came together for us to conceive of this record. So it's conceivable from what you're saying that this album could have been a soundtrack for something, or it could have been something else. You when you and Jim started tracking, like Jim, was your understanding that you and Gee got together and maybe this is a slurus white thing? Maybe it's not. Like maybe it's a maybe George will be involved. Maybe not. Was that what you were thinking at the time? Yeah, we were not saying what it, we were just trying stuff out. Like wasn't thinking what to do with it. And that's highly unusual that was- for this configuration. I would think you generally you go in with intention. Like, George, when you guys get together with Guy, you're planning to make a record, a proper record, right, for, for Slurus White? Generally, is that how it works? Yes. We, we often are recording and we don't know uh, what will come out and we have the material and then we go through and we see, you know, Guy does a, a lot of the choosing, let's say, stuff, what he, he likes, he sent it to us and when we are in the same room, we often start to make recordings and we don't know what, uh, you know, how we can use the recordings. In later yeah, so we don't, we don't in the, but I don't think we like, I know when I was in some bands, you like go and you go, we're making a record from the 20th and 21st of November, you know. And I guess we have done that, like when we book studios. But then often, sometimes we're just, we're in New York and we like go to we're both in New York and we go to Gee's and like let's do some recording, you know. Mm. I then, mean, that's the thing. We have like enormous amounts of material that we have generated over the years, and when it comes time to making a record, it's it's less about this is the recording that is the record. It's more about what do we have that 
coheres together and makes a statement as a record from this material that we've amassed. It's more like it's more like of a magpie approach where you're just pulling from all of these sources. And that's because, you know, the band, like we, we still have some of the material that's on this new record is stuff that we tracked, you know, before some of the other records, you know, yes. and some of it is brand new. So it's, it's yeah. always like a idea of finding, and sometimes it's very mysterious what fits in, like, what is the, what is the message or the meaning or the, the kind of the inner skeleton of the, of the music that holds together to make it, make it the album and and we always know you know it's always we always know when it's when it's correct you know yeah so you're right it could be considered as but it's that's why it's not a soundtrack record in that sense but even though some of the songs did stem from soundtrack work well and i i've tangled with jim on these topics before with other people jim's been on the show a bunch and i get into like composition versus improvisation from what george is saying there's not necessarily a a fixed intention. There's going to be some elements of in the moment playing. You two in particular, George and Jim, you tend when you, I don't know if you're still doing this, but you used to tour very hard. And I think uh, things would probably, Jim, is it safe to say songs would develop as, as you were playing on the road as well? A little bit work on them, but like more like we go in this, like oftentimes we'll go in the studio with Guy and we'll be like, we'll just throw some stuff down. It'll be like, it won't be even what you think, like you might have some ideas in your head, but then a lot of the best stuff is just like do it then, you know? Yeah. Or, you know, I don't know. Like we've talked about before, I don't know necessarily what George is thinking. I don't know what, I don't know, even know if he's played that before or not, you know, or if I just start playing something. But I would, I want to add something to what Guy was saying and what George was saying. Because we sometimes I find like a playlist of an old record that we made, you know, like that we didn't put out, you know. But, you know, every record we're, we haven't done, you know, and they're good records. But I feel like every record we've made, we've done a, a new set of recordings and in that we found the kind of directive where to look and find the other stuff. Do you know what I mean? So that's what, that, that sort of becomes like the instructions for looking back through the the catalogue of recordings. Yeah. I, right, Guy? Is that? Yes, that seems really, that seems really correct. Yeah, because, I mean, there's some songs – I mean, for example, we have on the new record, we have a song called Red Wine and we have a song, another song called Missing Heart, which are two of, have always been since the very minute that those guys recorded them here at my house have always been some of the most beautiful pieces of music that I've, I've ever been involved with. And in certainly with these guys, like even as we were tracking them, literally, even as they were occurring, seemingly out of nowhere i just was like oh my god what is happening you know just so excited by them and yet they didn't make it on previous records for reasons of uh like the directive like that jim is talking about didn't call for them in the right way so it was you know but this time it they did you know this time it was like they really they really it was like they were right it would the right moment the right time came for those songs to be folded into the mix even though they were it's like the newer material that Jim is talking about from this record, the songs that were used uh, for the Forced in Me film or for some of these other projects, and then some of the newer pieces of music that we had started to assemble. It kind of called back, it, like it, exactly in the way that Jim is talking about. Yeah. So, and then, um, and then, you know, we sent George a bunch of stuff. Guy and I recorded, you know, and then George, George picked up on some of it, and some of it we tried hard, like, like what, you know, have you got anything for this, you know, and some the ones that worked. You know, they're here and then the other ones aren't, you know. I want to follow up with George on that process in a moment. 
but just to clarify something that I think I, I understand correctly, you did some tracking. Uh, sorry, Jim, you did some tracking with the uh, Gi, but then you also obtained some recording equipment. Is that right? And did some tracking yourself, recording of recording right. some drums at uh, in Australia. So the backstory yeah. of that is like you know, as that George and I were actually we were on tour in like Venice when I first saw we first saw the masks appearing. You know, and later on we found out that the code was coming. We were in all the places where it was coming. I think it was someone else as well, somewhere else in those early days. But then we ended up in Australia. And actually we were, we did a few shows with Bill Callahan and we did our own shows and then and then everything was un, unraveling. And the last show got cancelled and then, you know, my dad fell up. My dad got sick basically and the show got cancelled and then all the, and all the other work sort of was disappearing and then George and his daughter like, the airport in Athens was closing down and they ran. They, they were like, we're, we're going to the airport now, we're running for it, you know. So I decided to stay in Australia to help help my father. So I did that for a few months in, in the countryside and then I was like kind of stuck there and then I went back to Melbourne and they, they announced a really big lockdown. It was gonna, They announced a curfew and this and that and uh, I was like, shit, you know. I just felt, So I just went down to – I rang up my friend's studio who had a studio and said, can I rent some microphones off you? And he goes, yeah, come take them all. We're shutting down at midnight, you know. Mm-hmm. I went down there and got the microphones, went to the shop and bought the interface. I never thought I had the patience or anything. I don't remember exactly. I guess, I guess it was just like, okay, we're going to try and I'll probably talk to you about a gee. So then I thought, okay, like I really didn't know how to do this at all. And then – as it happens, this label in England asked me to, to help with something and I go, well, I've got the equipment, I just got it today. You know, I don't know how to use it. And they go, oh, here's this name of this guy, Howard Grenolds in Montreal. And he's a, he would have been engineering this record, but now he's going to, if you want to, he'll, he can. So he was, so I had a meeting with him every morning and every night, you know, and with Guy and, and then I learned, I was in this house, you know, with like, you couldn't go more than two miles or something. You couldn't. It was all this stuff, and um, I learned to record. Yeah, I learned to record, and then eventually, when the time came when the, they wanted their microphones back, I bought. You know, I just like I found which ones I liked, and yeah. So then I went down this whole track where I could record, and and I bought. You know, I brought that back here too. I I kind of love stories like that. That out of the necessity of isolation and whatnot, people were picking up skills. Yeah. Uh, so now, Jim, is it a burden? For you to know how to do this? So, you know, I made or I did a lot you of like- recording. <laughs> you know, it's like if I had to do music, if that was my only relationship to music, recording in the house by myself, I was not sure how much I would do it. Yeah. But as part of the whole thing, it's actually pretty pretty satisfying and, you know, it's a different kind of – it's different. It's not really like the joy of – it's just really different. But, yeah, but now I can do it. It's good. Now you can do it. Yeah. Now you could do it with for anyone probably. That's yeah. great. I mean, I think that's great. Yeah. Yeah. Now, George, you are sent the structure of this record, this new record is a little mystifying to me and I and, and it's good that we're all gathered here cuz hopefully I can figure this out. <laughs> but uh George, my understanding is you were sent these drum tracks probably via the internet. What did you first make of this process of like I assume you would try to play along to them? Like, how did you actually approach collaborating with Jim and his tracks uh, from afar? You know, we came back from uh, Australia, as Jim said, with uh, my daughter, and we just, uh, when I arrived the next day, it was locked down here. 
And the following days, I thought, uh, you know, it was a relaxing time, be home. And uh, the phone wasn't ringing often, you know, very quiet outside. It was very nice. The beginning of that time was very relaxing here. We, we are in the countryside uh, outside of the village and... Uh, when this, uh, you know, uh, I had the first mails with the sound, I've got a, a home studio here, some uh, things, you know, I've got a quite good sound and I started listening to stuff. It was very inspiring, beautiful bass and highs and high hats and all the sounds was really beautiful. And I thought, oh yeah, this is fantastic. I'm going to do this now here. I'm going to be here and start thinking and uh, play on these recordings on the drums. And I have all a bunch of different instruments here. And I, it was good time. I tried to, to experimental with the sounds of different instruments, not only in the lute. It was no singing, you know, at that time, that moment, which is we, it was uh, something new, new again for Xilur's White. And I sent uh, the first stuff I sent to Jim and to Guy to have a listen to see what I came on with. Guy said, oh, George, this sounds like uh, you, we are in the same room. <laughs> <laughs> I remember that. And then I start thinking about that and I find that a very... Yeah, Postolene, uh, you know, attractive, you know, yeah. th to think we are in the same room, Jim in Australia and Guy in New York and me here. And uh, the way we communicated was, uh, you know, very different way as we work uh, usually. We have done this in the past, sometimes, very rare, but we did. And uh, yeah, stuff start uh, develop and sound. Guy uh, was sending me rough mixes, and we were talking about the sounds and the instruments and the mood and the feelings of this and that. And then the forest in me came on, and we start uh, work on that uh, film too. So the the whole thing inspired me. The, the new way to work, the forest in me, the lonely times. Me here, Guy in, Austra in uh, New York, Jim in So I started to discover and see other things, beautiful sounds. I loved it. Yeah. So, you know, yeah, it was uh, a bit uh, with the mood of the quiet outside here and the times in the garden with more relaxing and more forest in me, you know, than than loneliness of the time. Didn't one time we one time we watched the movie individually and played, not knowing what the other person had done. We we both watched it and played once along, just from the start to the finish. But then we ran them next to each other, right? Did we, right, Guy? Yeah, I mean that's the thing, Vish. Yeah. It's like it didn't all start with 
Jim supplying a bed of drum tracks and then George overdubbed it. It was oh maybe maybe some songs were like that, but other songs would start with with George playing something and then we would react. And yes. then other times Exactly. And then exactly. other times it would be like one of the tracks I sent a loop of of my kid playing violin on top of some drums and then that became an idea for yeah. George to riff off of. And then another time the film was really interesting because we both, we all three of us had something we could like, since we weren't in the room together, the film became the room and we could mm. all watch the film and then they were reacting to the film individually. I and see. then like, for, for example, Jim on one of those tracks might send me five playlists of different approaches to, to a section. And then George would send me five liras, three lutes. I see. All totally different. And then I would sit there with yeah. with this stuff and then I would be like, you know what I hear? And then I could take parts of the drums and parts of the liras. I didn't know what George's intention, if they should all be up or only one of them or half of them. But I would just try to find a musical thing, a conversation between the drums and the film that made sense to me. And then I would send it to them and then they would come back with notes. So it was this weird, That's it was really like we weird. were existing yeah. in this in this, you know, space above the world that we were somehow all, you know, together, like referencing, but tracking in isolation, but somehow still in, in, in conversation in a really intense way. And when I went back and read the emails, I kind of had forgotten that there was so much um, variety because, you know, like Jim might do a pass, which was like frenetic. And then he might do one that was very ambient. And then he might do one with different kind of instrumentation and, and George, would have his his different instrumentation that he was doing, and so for me it was it was something really novel to be able to kind of like try to thread a needle or 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 or, or like weave it together in a way that was still musical and still honoring what they were trying to to present in reaction to the film, or even if it wasn't a soundtrack project, if it was just a song that we were working on, something that was ultimately musical. And what was so cool was that. You know, I was very, very used to like the sounds of them in this room. So it was really cool when Jim started engineering himself, hearing the way he hears his own drums. Mm -hmm. And he became, we had a lot of like back and forth about the microphones and the setups that he was using. And what about his drums themselves are the things that are like, there's aspects of just the sound of the way Jim tunes his drums or the way he strikes his drums and stuff that are just really moving to me. And there's stuff about the way George plays the lira and the lute, you know, instruments that are are still new to me, even though we've been working together for a long time, but yeah. things that are just so evocative and so beautiful, different techniques that he has that, like he has this one bow which has some bells on it. So it would have this shimmering sound that sits above the track in this certain frequency of these high bells coming off the bow as it's being played across the lira. So cool, you know, and then, so there's all these different things to kind of react to and, it was it was really quite interesting. It didn't have that kind of antiseptic feeling of like, you know, here's a drum machine, put something on top of it. It was much more uh, much more conversational than that. I I really want to uh, say that I appreciate that clarification and that distinction, Yi, like uh, because I'm kind of riffing off something I read and uh, and and trying to piece this together. And um, George, I do want to ask you because you invoked the forest in me, and you also invoked not singing. I do want to follow up with you in a moment about those two things, because I think it speaks to the emotional tenor of this record. The fact that you had this title to work off of, and then you chose not to sing in this time strikes me as interesting. And I want to get to that in a second. 
But Guy, just to follow up on everything you just said, compositionally, I'm still, despite your amazing elaboration, I'm still trying to piece together what this means. You were still sent a lot of things. And then was the, what we're hearing on the record, obviously you went back and forth, but was that your ear saying, okay, I think this goes here, this goes here, and this is how this fits together as a composition, so to speak, on this record? Or am I misreading that or misunderstanding it just that? A bit, it, well, it depends on the track. Because like, again, like I said, there's some of the tracks are tracks that we recorded together in this room pre-pandemic. Oh, right. Of course. Right. So, right. so those, those songs are just, you know, material that, uh, like Missing Heart, for example, as far as I know, they had never discussed it together. They just suddenly started playing this thing. And I scrambled to turn on my, you know, equipment in order to capture what I could capture. And it was, so that's different. But then other songs are the way that you just described them. It really is. That's the thing is there's no, there's no real true formula for what this is. It's not a, it's, you know, some of the songs stemmed from, from the film work. Some of them stemmed from pre-pandemic. Some of them stemmed from initial ideas Jim had. Some stemmed from initial ideas George had. Some stemmed from me combining elements and creating a song and then presenting it to them and saying, does this... Like the one that started with the drums and my kids' violin loops, ultimately the violin loops disappear because George... He he like in, he like uh, absorbed the idea or the spirit behind what was happening, but then he took it to a, a a different place, a more you know he kind of expanded on it, and and that's the song Latin White, which for us felt like kind of a breakthrough in terms of uh, finding just new terrain and new sounds and stuff like that. Well, Nightclub also sticks out to me. I don't know if that's a song that you feel compelled to talk about, but Nightclub sticks out for me in your catalog thus far and i wondered how that came about jim do you have any insight about that particular song well that's actually that's from another film that we were working on right okay yeah and also but yes. isn't it also the, <laughs> the bones of it is actually from another different film before that that we were playing live too right <laughs> yeah yeah you get you guys need like a, a day timer and organize. I don't know how you keep track of all this stuff. I mean, Guy, as soon as we started talking about this band many years ago, I think Guy, you, you said this to me. Like, you're just building upon every session. It's, some stuff hasn't seen the light of day yet from the very first time you got together. And so, some of it's still... Oh, yeah, we've got the... Disc- oh, what do you got there? What is... So well, you do are, have a day timer. <laughs> so this this is probably one third of the amounts of notes I have on Xylorus White. Like each one wow. of these, each one of these books <laughs> that I'm showing you, this one here says, you know, Xylorus White, Box Hill 2018. And it's just pages and pages of notes describing the different tracks. And I, when I say hundreds of tracks, I mean literally hundreds and hundreds yes. of songs and folders. Yes. So I have these notes and I go back through them and a lot of times they're very productive in terms of finding song titles because things that we're discussing in the moment while we're tracking, I'm writing it down and it will end up becoming evocative enough to be used as a song title because it's like, so that's, that is what it is. You know, it's like, it's like a, I think I said it before. It's like, there's a stream going by and, you know, we're like dipping our hands in the stream and pulling stuff out of the stream. So you're the collect. So you, because of your notebooks and that strange bunker you exist in, Guy, you are kind of the <laughs> the memory bank for this project. Like you've got it all. I mean, Jim, you must encounter things that Guy has sort of 
uh, excavated and been like, oh yeah, that thing, I forgot. Oh, do you get that? Do you are you for- kidding me? Yeah, like no, like yeah. I would only know one percent of what we did if it was left to me. That's because like we go one time we were in Iceland and we're like, you know, we just went to the studio one day and we made like like five takes of like twenty pieces of music, or whatever. And you know, we're lucky if we can remember. Oh, that one! Remember, there was that one version of that song that was really good. And I, and I, I mean, I know that that lives at Guy's house. That session, I don't know if Guy's ever been through it, but you know, yeah, because it's Guy's house. That, that's, I mean, I, it's probably on my computer. It's on my hard drive somewhere. But I got hard drives. I don't know what's in there. Yeah. So when you <laughs> when you and George reencounter, let's I don't know how else to put it. When you reencounter something you did three, four, five years ago. And then you're you're on the road. Is it a matter of relearning it? This is where I'm going again, Jim. Well, Jim, you're going to be mad at me. I'm going to invoke the composition versus improvisation (laughs) thing again. Well, I just mean like it sounds to me that Guy is scrambling to hit record. You guys don't even exactly know what you're going to do. So there's some measure of improvisation. But then as you repeat an improvisation (laughs) in public, it gets it gets a form. It becomes compositional. Oh yeah, and like if Jim, like if Gate will do some recording and then Gee will go, hey, check this out, you know, and then oh, that's really good, that's great, you know, then that's a song, right? It is, but then when you're, I guess I'm just making the distinction between the magic that you guys capture in the studio together, which sounds magical. I'm not even using that term superficially or anything. It sounds like magic is captured, lightning in a bottle. Then you're supposed to go on the road. Does it even occur to you? I don't, having seen you many times. I don't get the sense that you're that precious about this has got to be just like the record. It's not that kind of project. However, when you, like you say, are surprised by your own idea, I'm sure you're like, yeah, let's try that. Let's try that again. And all I'm getting at, and this is maybe a little silly, are you trying to recreate the magic, that lightning in a bottle when you're on stage with the same tune? Or is it just completely... Yeah, do you see where I'm coming from? So say, like, say, pulling the bricks, the first song on the first album... That's like just a moment, right? If that's a, if I remember, mm-hmm. Ian George, like that's we just did that then, right? Yeah, and that's a song we played hundreds and hundreds of times, and you know it, it moves as songs do in when you play live and in, with people, they change, you know, they change over time. But it's like yeah, yeah, you're definitely going for this, and you know, it's like hang on, what, we've sort of lost something there. Let's go back and. Yeah, it's more about the it's about the feeling. You want to have the feeling, and like maybe you lost it. Maybe you thought the feeling was something else, and then at some point you're like, oh no, like maybe let's let's move it back this way a little bit. You know, I mean, I'm someone who appreciates artists who who don't treat. I I appreciate artists who feel like uh, the recording is just what happened that day or that week, but the song as you go live can evolve. I feel like that. Yeah, is that maybe the spirit of where you're coming from in this project? I mean, for me, I thought it's always. I mean, it always come back to the idea that you know you get good at maximizing the moments of, I think this is something we talked about one time, like you want the spirit of what, if you record for a day and you find this piece that's like got the spirit that's really good and then Guy says, hey, what about this? That mean, Then, you know, Guy's named it, right? And he's shown it to us. We can go, yeah, that's great, you know. Or if he edits it or adjusts it, you know, then that's, I mean, I don't remember what we did anyway. Yeah. I'm like, Guy, is that what we did? It's like, you know, yeah or no. <laughs> and, um, but then at the show, you, you every song's got to be good, right? Every song's got to be the moment. So you've got to be, so you've got to get really good at making the moment in every song. Yeah, but also, I, I think it's important to remember too, like, particularly with this band, there's, 
the music has can can come from so many different sources. Like the yeah. music can be pure improvisation, or it can be improvisation based on a folk, a yeah. folk yeah. Med- medley or rhythm or idea, or it can be an assemblage of things that I have like threaded together from different things. Is there's so many different ways that this band approaches each song that there's it's not formulaic or it's not programmatic, but it's also I think reductive to say that there's no songs here because certainly yeah. there are songs and there's, there's songs, and just yeah. their hits. Yeah. And just yeah. their hits. And also like, we and don't <laughs> and we don't just go and play we don't go, oh song three is like we're gonna improvise, you know. We might say, well let's go from this song to this this song and they have this little transition and that might be a little bit open or whatever, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. No, I I I hope I didn't mischaracterize anything. I'm just trying to get but it's a it's a this, riddle. This band this, is a riddle to me. This, also, this record is uh, this record so much more. It's quite different, you know. Yeah, like even like thinking about the nightclub one, right? Because that isn't that like, isn't that a song we were doing? You know, we're playing for Jem. Is that from there I, at all? It's a no. It's a it's a bunch of different things that have been very very heavily processed. Like that one was inspired by a film. Like it was a brief to soundtrack. Uh, this is a movie that ultimately didn't come out for us, but hmm. the idea was to create. So, I mean, I, to be quite honest, like a lot of these times I have to actually go back to the Pro Tools session itself to see what the elements are that I'm using to – like that one, for example, it, like Jim said, it's a combination of a bunch of different things from different times that have been processed in a different way. But it held together as an idea or as a song. And one thing I think is so interesting about this record that I think makes it different maybe from the other four is that I think it is the one that's probably the maybe George can say also it's the most divorced maybe from some of the folk idiom that the band has worked in in the past. But also what I love about this record is the I was talking to Jim about this the other day. I've been listening to like early Johnny Cash Sun recordings and uh, early Roger Miller records and a lot of his songs, you know, from back then, they're like a minute and 35 seconds long. And you're like, how can this song be a minute and 35 seconds? Like and yet it has everything you need is in that very concise beautiful you know song shape you know and this record has some songs that are you know fairly long and others that are incredibly short but they're complete ideas you know and that's what i find really exciting about this record is like you can have songs of like it really i feel like it's almost like a discursion on time itself and i've and music and time is something i think about a lot you know particularly coming out of hardcore where songs were like 32 seconds long yeah and then and then you have songs you know you know, once the CD came on the market, you'd have things like, you know, Jerusalem by sleep that are like, you know, 40 minutes long yeah. or whatever it was, you know, with yeah. massive movements. And I just love this idea of like t- that in, in, in music, time becomes distorted and changed and shaped. And I, and I think this record is one of the things I most like about it is the way it holds together as a complete statement as an album, like listened to in its entirety as one thing. But then also in its micro, like in its instances of of the small sections within it. Um, so that's just something that occurred to me. No, and that's fair. And I mean, part of the distortion, like again, if we think back on the inception of this, rather not the inception, but the way you three have operated, there is a been a blurring of time and space the whole time. Like you're capturing everything and then it resurfaces. It doesn't necessarily come out w- within the context of when I mean, within a year or something of the context of when it was captured. That's fascinating in itself. And where I'm kind of thinking about what you've done here is in in the context of a pandemic is that you guys are maybe more customized to work this way, the way people have had to work 
uh, maybe it's it's not the same anymore. But this kind of remote work, sharing of files, uh, digging up old ideas and trying to uh, bring them into a contemporary context. There's a lot of temporal temporality kind of being messed with in just Slurus White, if I may. Uh, Guy, does that resonate with anything you just said? Yeah, I mean, I think so. And it, it, it really was looking back on how, like the thread in the creation of this record, it really did make me realize how how outside of time a lot of it felt, you know? And yeah. and it's so interesting to me now to think about a song like Red Wine. Now I only think about it in the context of this sequence of songs because right. it fits in so so beautifully, you know, and it sits there so nicely with this stuff. But I mean, you know, I like Jim says, we have playlists for records that don't exist. And Red Wine was on many of them, you know? Yeah. So it's like, there's just a, we're always kind of like, you know, we're always in conversation with each other. And it's, it is, it's funny. I was trying to think, George, when is the last time you and I were literally in the same room? Like, I feel like we've been working so hard together for so long, but when was the last time I actually was with you? Before the COVID. Before the comet. When was that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. yeah, but... 18? But, but what? Was it 2018? No, it can't be that long. Is it possible? Jim, do you remember the last time we were all three in the same place? Before Australia. Huh. Mm. Okay. But we never we never forgot about red wine because every time we were doing anything, we'd go, hey, what about red wine? <laughs> Will that fit on? <laughs> <laughs> right so yeah this i want to ask about uh, uh Guy's actual role in this uh i know we've established it but i i find this dynamic fascinating i promised george i would ask him a couple of questions and i want to stick to my word first of all george when you hear this phrase the forest in me i want to begin there what does it mean to you because in the in the material i was sent you have a very interesting quote about making this record. Actually, shall I begin by reading this to people, George? Do you know what I'm referring to? Yeah, yeah. Shall I start? Okay. The quote I have here is, Every harmonic is a fallen tree trunk that I climb over. I'm stepping in muddy waters in the woods or coming to a clearing. That is part of the journey I take, whether I'm playing music with an audience or recording alone. It's a journey around the forest of my inner self, that's how I see it. So first of all, George, that's very lovely. Was that prompted by this this title, The Forest in Me, or is that just something you've thought uh, for yourself? <laughs> oh, yeah, well, the title, The Forest in Me, that inspired me to think that uh, direction. Uh, uh, oh, no electricity here right now. Uh-oh. Oh, oh, yeah. Is George? I thought he was thinking. Can you guys hear George? He's frozen. Oh, shit. But, oh, you know, no. but maybe I can just say real quick until George comes back is like, just to give you a bit of an idea of what the film itself is, because it hasn't come out yet. The film, The Force I in see. Me. But it is, it's yeah. a, it's a story of, it's, it's three stories intertwined in a documentary form. And like one of the stories is about uh, NASA astronauts preparing for Martian living by, living in a pod on the on a volcano in Hawaii. And then another story thread is about a woman who lives by herself and she's 71 years old and she lives in the Siberian forest. Kind of, she was a part of a, some religious exiles who were like kind of forced out into the Siberian forest and she lives completely by herself and hmm. surrounded by 
wreckage from Russian army bombings and stuff like that. And she just kind of has a very rural life. And then the, the overarching theme of the movie is, is a letter to the filmmaker's son talking about, you know, talking about themes of human existence and time and loneliness and all these things. And so these three stories kind of are all combined. And that will ultimately be the film, The Force of Me, that hopefully people will be able to see at some point when Rebecca is able to complete the movie. But it's interesting because we made uh, little video clips for every song on this record. So mm-hmm. for every every single song on the record, there's going to be a, a film, a short film made by different filmmakers, including Jim's sister, Anna White. Uh, Jem Cohen, our friend, made some three films. Rebecca, from who made The Force in Me, also made some films. And what was really interesting was seeing how the, the filmmakers reacted to the music and how common themes came up in all of the different clips without us you know, giving any kind of instruction about what to show. So a lot of the stuff George was talking about in terms of like the natural world informing the way he plays and the way he thinks about his music – is in the films that were made by the people reflecting on the music that we made. So it is kind of this weird, uh, um, hmm. it's a hall of mirrors in a way, but, but I do think there has always been something about this music that has even from the beginning has always made me think about the natural world and about weather systems and about yeah. time and all those kind of things. It's just in the music, you know, I watched a video of someone night swimming, I believe. Is that, is that a way of putting it? Yeah. Yeah. That's for Latin white. That's made by Rebecca. Yeah. Rebecca. Yeah. It's beautiful. Beautiful video, and uh, you're right. I mean, it, it, this music does conjure the natural world for me, but it also, I mean, it's interesting to me that this is uh, instrumental, and that's what I wanted. We, just so people know, we seem to have lost George. Uh, hopefully, he can log back in because I wanted to ask him about this too. But maybe uh, Jim and Guy, you can provide some insight as to why uh, George's voice is absent here. And the circumstances are what they are. But do you think there's anything else to it? Um, the fact that. Uh, I'm used to, I love hearing, I don't even always understand, if I if I may be candid, what George is saying. I ask for translations of lyrics if they're not provided to me in the album liner notes. But um, was it a conscious decision to have it be a sort of vocal-less record? Yeah. Why I remember, Guy, is that, you know how we were talking before about like doing new recordings and then finding the kind of theme of it. And, you know, what what I noticed was that, you know, we, d- we didn't have the Greek folk themes apart from what, I mean, inexplicably connected with George, but, you know, in terms of the melodies and stuff. And we didn't have, you know, we didn't have any words singing. And then, so that became, I felt that became part of the instructions of what we were trying to build, you know, and we actually took out a lot of the sort of build-ups and the tension and release as well, you know. Do you remember that, Guy? We, we, I, remember there was, I remember there was a discussion about it and we talked with George about it. Yeah, I guess it was I – mean, for me, it doesn't even seem that intentional, but now it seems like it must have been in some way. But I don't remember like a lot of heavy discussions about it. I remember George saying, like, should I try singing? And I'm like, I think we should have it like this. You know, we shouldn't – we should hmm. we should keep it. Um, I mean, there are some tracks that end up in Forced in Me that did that, – that Rebecca did put vocals on. And that's why some of these mixes are different from what's in the film because like he ended oh. up having Apoll- Apollonia from uh, George's daughter sang on some stuff and – there was some vocal stuff here, but I do think she's on the she's on the music we did. Yeah, and I but I think it's only in the used in the film, not in the mix that we have for some yeah. of these songs. But um, I <laughs> but I do think there was like I felt like we kind of the to me what felt most deliberate was cutting the cord with the with the traditional music and the yes. kind of yeah. just having it be more reactive in terms of like obviously George has his vocabulary 
that's in in his style of playing and out of his history and that's where he comes from same with Jim you know Jim has his history and his style and his vocabulary from where he comes from and Indeed. perhaps I have a vocabulary that I'm unaware of but maybe it exists <laughs> but you know this was like more of a like it felt like a step into a different space or a different way with less of the grounding that it had been there before you know it felt more of a does that seem right Jim like a step in a different to a different place yeah I mean yeah, I was I was really interested to see how it was without those things, you know. I thought it would, and then once I saw how it was, like it really liked how it was going, and I was also interested in to see how it lived in the world, you know, like that yeah. in a different way too, you know. Yeah, I think George's voice, whether he's adapting a folk song or 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 what have you, like it it does. Without it, I don't know. It just changes the context for me. I mean, I don't know how else to put it. It's maybe it's an obvious thing, but yeah, I, does it still sound like Louis White? Yeah. Yeah, mission accomplished on that level. It does still sound like it, but I, yeah, it does. That's an interesting question. Does it sound like it to you, given how sort of fractured it was put together? Does it seem like a, a normal? Yeah, <laughs> slurs. Yeah, way I, mean, I think it's a different, a different. You know, it's different. And it's, yeah, I mean, I think all these records they're all, you know, all of our records are they make sense together and they're different. You know, but so yeah, much was, to me, so much yeah. to me depends on the sequence. Like really, I mean, I think that in some ways I still operate very, very much in an analog uh, album kind of way yeah. of thinking of the of sequences and sides. And I remember making a sequence of this to give to Jim to play on a road trip he was driving to Detroit. I think right. So I I'd made uh, mm-hmm. I'd made I said like this is what I hear as being the way that these songs communicate with each other and the spacings and the way the songs work in conjunction with each other and the flow. That to me was. It's so key because when I put on this record, I don't just listen to – like I like to really – I mean, you know, people say it takes you on a journey. That sounds incredibly hack. But my feeling about this record is it takes you on a journey, like quite honestly. <laughs> I feel like that's what – It does. Yeah. And and maybe because it's divorced from singing and language, lead, there's a space that opens up there for your own internal uh, narrative, you know? It, it it does do that. Absolutely. And I – yeah, I think it's beautiful. I. The one thing I will try to get to quickly that I find fascinating is that in Guy and Jim, you would maybe appreciate that traditionally when a band or an artist makes a record, usually, um, you know, they might record a couple of things that they don't use for that record and they may pop up later. But as fans, you can kind of chart their evolution a little bit. You can go through the discography and sort of figure it out because usually the things are captured in a time and place. Again, to go back to the temporal confusion and fascination that I have with this band, Like you say, Guy, some of these things are from potentially years ago, but you still, it feels contemporary. It still feels like a brand new band every time I put on a record. I don't really have a question there. I just, it's an observation. Like, it's fascinating that you're able to, to me, like hear a fresh thing or a thing that's fresh to my ears and not know that it might be, it might have been captured nine years ago or something. You know what I mean? That's a little odd, isn't it? Well, you should think in terms of geologic time. How if does you that expand work? Your, well, if you expand your expand your time reference, I mean, three years is really not very long at all. I That's mean, true. That's true. It does feel that way right now. A, a bit <laughs> of a blur in time, yeah. Uh, the only thing I wanted to get to before we uh, maybe wrap up. I wish George was there to ask that question because I also think for him it must feel his relationship, you know, because where George is coming from, you know, from the folk tradition, like, you know, this is it's a step somewhere else, you know, as well, yes. even though – it's still, I think it makes 100% sense still, but, you know, must feel different. Must feel different. Yeah. 
Well, you, not not unlike REM, Slurus White is out of time. That was a bad joke. I'm sorry. I was referencing their mm. album. But yeah, no, there's a... I like it. It's out of time. That's the only phrase I can think of. I, I really appreciate it. I The one thing I wanted to ask about, Jim, and this is maybe potentially yeah. awkward, the band is billed as you two, you and George. But for my money, is it not a trio at this point? Like, is do you view it as, like, without Guy, is this a thing at this point? Uh, it's it's definitely the three of us. Yeah. And actually, you know, and in the past we've said, Guy, you should be in the title as well. And then Guy was resistant to that. And then this time it made more, I think it made more sense, to, even more sense again. But then, and we were going to do that, right, Guy? Yeah, we talked then, about it. But then, but, there, we, but then we realized that if we're going to play a show. Oh, right. People are going to expect to see Guy on the stage. And, you know, that would have been, I don't think Guy was ready to get in the van. <laughs> <laughs> there's never been an, in, there's never been an instrumental entry point for you here, Guy. Is that correct? You've never. Uh, well, I've actually, I mean, we've done film work, live film work together where I have played guitar with, with Jim and George in different configurations. I mean, we've done uh, projects with Jim Cohen where we've had a, a bands with Jessica Moss on violin and me on guitar and George on lute and Jim on drums. So we have actually made music together with me playing guitar on stage before, for sure. Yeah, but, quite a bit. But Zylorus White, you know as a live entity is the duo, yeah. you know, that is the band. And that is like, you know, there's quite, you know, for anyone who hasn't seen it, you, and you, if you have the opportunity, you absolutely have to see it because it's an incredible yeah. thing to see in real time, their, their musicianship. And no, I don't feel like that. I could step into that. I, you know, it's for, for, for various reasons, but I do think that there's, you know, there's like two aspects of the band. There's the, you know, the performing unit that is Zyloris White. There's the band Zyloris White that has had some continuity together from dating way back in Jim's history. I mean, Jim and George go back as friends and people who have collaborated together, you know, even from before, you know, the first Zyloris White record was made. Yeah. So there's a, there's a long relationship there, but there is also something that is, you know, with these records that we've made together, which, you know, I feel I feel very strange about being a record producer, but when I have worked with bands on records, my feeling about it is I like, I, I'll go to the mat for the project. I really get in, invested in a very intense way and I don't work on things that I don't have that kind of investment in, you know? And with this band, it's like, I feel hugely invested in what it is. And I think it's really stretched me in a way. Like I don't, I didn't have a grounding in a lot of the music that George comes from. So yeah. for me, it was a learning curve. And a lot of it is still mysterious to me. Sometimes I'm not even sure if the song stems from a scale modality that is classical or if it's completely improvised. I don't have enough knowledge of that stuff. But I do think that I, you know, I just, it just brings another thing to the table, another perspective to the table. And I think with this band, I think I do have an ear for being able to help the process along, you know? I mean, I've heard this about you before, Guy, that from others who've worked with you, uh, notably the casual dots. You're very supportive and you're very helpful and, uh, and it's, you're a driving force in that regard. But I don't know. There's something about this and I feel like you've both spoken to it, but for what it's worth, like, particularly with this record, it does feel like this is a real trio collaboration. It is. Um, it, yeah. really, it really yeah. is. Yeah. Yeah. So for my money, you're a trio. <laughs> Yeah. <laughs> I hereby decree. <laughs> no, it, and it, I think we I think we announced it like that in the in the in the publicity. Like, it's you know, true, the actually. Presenting this record, yeah, it know? did say uh, Slurus White and Guy Picciotto present. Yeah, you're absolutely correct. Yeah. I got that from Drag City. Anyway, 
little bit of semantics, but I just wanted to clarify it because I find this all very fascinating. As you both know, I but love we just you. didn't want you know we just didn't want to hustle anybody if they think there's going to be guitar playing and you know you know hijinks of that nature on the record because there's not. So it's like to, it's just a matter of nomenclature. But I think I've always felt comfortable with what you know with. You know, we talked about it, and I think we ended up in the place that makes the most rational sense in yeah. terms of how to present what the record is. It reminds yeah. me of the press releases I, I've seen from the 60s that said, the Beatles and George Martin present Revolver. No, I'm just kidding. Uh, <laughs> no, but it does feel that way to me. Like, this feels like... Well, a- hopefully closer to George Martin than Murray the King. You know, like whatever, <laughs> you're going to have to pick between those two. No, it's, it's wonderful, and I appreciate that you were able to make such a beautiful record under very strange circumstances um so i i want to uh ask uh kind of what's next questions um so Guy, you're sitting on piles and piles of stuff uh is it is you are, is it, because you have so much stuff are you ever not thinking about what's next in terms of this band in particular it's funny i actually found the one email where i was like where we started talking about like what should the you know it was in 2021 like we'd been working on these film projects we'd been working on just various things and it was like what is like, what is the brief for the next record? And I kind of like, you know, wrote out a, like a idea of like, what do we need to look for? What are the parameters for this record? Um, so that kind of focused the attention. I mean, I've been through these archives a lot. It's like, there's a yeah. lot of stuff in there, but at this point I feel like we need to build, build a new archive. And I'm really hoping that at some point I can be in the room with George and Jim at the same time. I mean, there really is, that is a, that is a special uh, yeah. experience, you know, and I think it'd be wonderful to see, to, to be able to do that again. So hopefully that's, that will, what happened to George? Like did the bomb drop on, like where did, have you, has he tried to come back into the chat? Do you know? Well, I assume Jim hasn't been able to text him because his phone is, is occupied. Is that right? Oh yeah. I put my phone on, uh, you know, airplane mode or something. Let me it's see. So, did he write me? No, he didn't, but I'm, I'm yeah. sorry. He might, but you know, probably the internet does go out. There. It was getting a little dodgy, I thought, or spotty at various points. Uh, I don't know if you guys yeah, did. You see how it was like it was doing some it was like strobe, flashing? like a strobe thing yeah, where we were was, appearing in his yeah. square, and I was like, "Oh no, some sort of yeah, that's a good <laughs> trans- can, uh, something's going on." My point was going to be, uh, 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 sorry, Guy, that thing yes. you just that you just described of 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 hopefully all being in the same room. Is there talk of that? Mm. Is there a plan? Well, Zeller's White are supposed to be starting a tour next week where they're um, playing, uh, starting to play shows. They're playing the Big Ears Festival and they're supposed to be playing here in New York. So, I mean, ah. I don't know if there's going to be any extra time to get together and do something, but that would be wonderful. But I mean, it does it does feel there's a hope in the air. I mean, I think there's a more promising uh, future for that kind of potential. I hope so. You know? Okay, great. Well, uh, that's- oh, look, George had a lightning strike. There's no electricity. Oh, you got a oh, message. Oh, what happened? Oh, no. Yeah. Okay. Well, I said, uh, what did, didn't I say uh, uh, lightning in a bottle? Maybe Whoa. that's what prompted it. I conjured this. I'm sorry. I love George. I miss him. That was my fault. I'm sorry. Jim, uh, Guy alludes to the fact that you have uh, tour dates. That's exciting. Um, is it uh, extensive? Are you going whole hog as you usually do? Uh, no. We've got uh, Montreal, Los Angeles, Big Ears. Philadelphia, New Haven, and New York. Okay. And then you'll see what happens. It's still a bit weird out there, I think, right? To, to tour? Yeah, I think that I think it is actually. And we'll just, uh, you know, hopefully we'll do some more, you know, we want to go up to Chicago at some point. And, uh, right. Hopefully we'll do some more, but we don't have that worked out yet. Okay, fair enough. Now the record's out on Drag City. 
So I can cite that. Uh, if people want to learn more about uh, both of you, <laughs> let's go uh, on the internet. Uh, uh, Jim, where can people go to learn more about uh, Slurus White? Oh, SlurusWhite.com. Easy. That's easy. And I can link to that in the podcast description. No problem there. That's great. Tour dates. And if people are interested in the Rebecca Marshall Forrest and Me film, they can Google uh, Rebecca E. Marshall, the Forrest and Me film, and that will take you to her website where she talks about the film. And uh, we're hoping that within a year or so, it should be out. And the, we're, you know, we're also, when the complete uh, video clips for this Forced in Me album are done, there's going to be a compilation of those films as well. So there'll be uh, two, there'll be lots of kind of visual stuff. And the record itself is coming out in April, I believe, right? April. That's correct. It's out on, you guys are brandishing vinyl copies of them and showing them off in my face. That's great. I want to get one of those. All of you have them. Yeah. It's on Drag City for the rest for the most of the world, but if you're a listener, if you have listeners in Australia and New Zealand, it's on Remote Control Records. Oh, okay, cool. This is their version. We do have some listeners out there, so hello, and now you know Remote Control <laughs> Records. That's great. All right, well, that's excellent. Now, if we can go out, oh, sorry, Guy. Yes. Are you on the internet? Are you online? Do you do things online? Um, I keep up with my sports team, and I. Uh... <laughs> I exchange emails with you, Vish, occasionally. That's right. <laughs> emails and texts sometimes about sports. Yes. Are you, you don't have a presence of some kind or uh, are you hiring? I have no, I have no presence on the internet. I, I try to keep my presence as minimal as possible in a minute because I find uh, I, I don't have enough time to, to tend to it. In a no, way. That's fair. But, but do you like, uh, sorry, I'm just going to have, this is plug time. Mm. Are you actively looking for people to uh, seek you out as a producer or recording engineer or anything like that? Or does it just happen when it happens? I'm not actively looking for that because I, I, there's like a group of, there's groups of people that I, I work with now that kind of, I have a limited bandwidth of t- availability in terms of trying to balance yeah. my uh, parenting and uh, musician stuff. But occasionally, I mean, I'm always up for people. I'm always up for checking out new music and stuff like that, but I don't have a, uh, I'm, I don't have a shingle out for that. And <laughs> and since it's in my house, I can't actually be that loud here. So there's not a, I can't do a lot of super loud recording. So that kind of limits yeah. what I can do. So fair enough. I just wanted to give you the opportunity to shoot me down or plug should, something. And I appreciate that. Yeah. I don't think I shot you down, but <laughs> no, you did. No, you didn't. No, you didn't. But I, I feel like I, I wish I was less online myself. And that's all I was getting at. I wish yeah. I could do less. And I, I thought we were all heading that way with the Twitter's implosion. And then I was like, good. I feel obligated to do it. Anyway, this is not about me. I just want to wrap this up. I'll figure out my own psychological oh. issues. Yes, Jim, you were going to say something? Yes. I've, I made a mailing list for shows cause to try to actually get off the the people that don't want to be on the social media. Yeah. And I, so I, so um, my friend built me something, and it says jimwhitedrums.com. It's a oh. website, and then on it is supposed to be my – I haven't sent one out yet. But I will. That's it. The dates. I have one of those too. I have a newsletter, and I can't keep up with it. I'm. Just, I don't know what's wrong with us. We're all so busy. I guess it's and- like kind of like you know, because you know, how do you find about shows? But yeah, without going on social media, right? Yeah, you're Seems on the difficult. you're on the Instagram as Jim White Drums, right, Jim? Yeah. Okay, so people can go there. I'll link to all these things. Okay, gentlemen, uh, before we go, I want to go out on a song uh, from uh, the Forest and Me. Uh, Gee, I think you've heard this happen on the show before. Because I have two people, there could be a debate. I'm going to go to one of you to pick. The other one has veto power. Hey, can I can we'll I go. can I suggest something different, Vish? Oh yes. 
I thought about this today, but I, I thought George was going to be here too. So I thought with the four of us, we could do this thing where each of us picks a number between one and five, and then we oh. add the add the numbers together. And if the number's even, that person who is the even person decides. If it's odd, the that other person decides. And if it's a prime, the third person decides. You but thought s- about this today, like I furthering did. and complicating yeah, I know the bureaucracy. You, I know- <laughs> Well, I know you have this thing that you do, and I was like, I don't like the whole veto thing. I find it uncomfortable, and I I thought it would be cool to do something involving numbers and randomness. So, well, the veto thing is is uh, as you have maybe heard also. Generally, there's consensus. There's very little debate. People are like, you know what? That's a good idea. That's all. It's a bit of a joke. So, yeah. Okay. Well, how do you propose? Do you really want to do this? We can do it. I can. You pick then. You tell us so how to do I'll, it. I'll count to three. And then we okay. hold up a finger, one, you know, one, two, three, four, five. Then we'll okay. add the numbers together. If the number's uh-huh. even, Jim will pick the song. If the number is odd, I will pick the song. If the number is a prime, you, Vish, will pick the song. Okay. Sounds good. All right. Everybody, okay. you're going to count? You're going to count this down? Yep. Okay. One, two, three. All right. So we have seven, nine. So nine is odd. And is, is nine a prime? No, it's not. So that means I get to decide. <laughs> Fair enough. I, this is revolutionizing this part of my okay. show, but fine. Go go for it. Um, well, I, I, I gave all the thought to the idea. Now I, have to, I haven't given any thought at all to what song to pick. But I'm I trying to pick, make it normal. I'm going to pick. I'm going to pick "Missing Heart" because it's it's one of my favorite. Uh, pieces of music that, like I said, it was one of these things where they started playing it and there is a missing heart to this song because I wasn't able to turn on the tape until I did. And it was, uh-huh. there's this beautiful verse that's somewhere out in the ether, like circulating that it doesn't exist. But it, the the part I did capture is, is one of the my most favorite memories of these guys playing. It's like they sat down, we had played not a note. They had not even tuned they hadn't done anything they just went into this piece of music just from the beginning before i'd even set any levels or anything and wow. it's it's just one of those magic pieces of music that uh, uh I've, I've always i've always loved it and i love it on this record well that's very well put i appreciate that i didn't realize that by verse by the way you mean instrumentally not there wasn't singing or something there weren't lyrics no 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 it was okay. an instrumental but it was yeah. like it was a i mean a passage of music maybe for like a minute and then by the by the time i was able to get the levels up and, and hit the button but nice. amazingly it comes in on a very musical entry point so um yeah okay jim did you not veto not anything else did you want to say anything about that particular tune before we before we hear i had an even number well, that's true. So I'm you, out. I'm you're out just out? You get eliminated from even talking about it? Okay, that's fine. <laughs> this is uh, Missing Heart by Slurris White from their beautiful new album, uh, The Forest and Me. Jim, Gee, George, who's not here, thank you so much for being on the show again. I hope you enjoyed this. I really appreciate it, and uh, I hope we speak again, and best of luck in the future. Thank you, Vish. Thank you, Vish.
Everyone knows therapy is great for solving problems, but getting therapy has its own problems too, like finding the right therapist, fitting into their schedule, and of course, the cost. Well, BetterHelp can solve those problems. It's totally online and built around your schedule. It's surprisingly affordable too. Connect with a credentialed therapist by phone, video, or online chat, all from the comfort of your home. Visit betterhelp.com to learn more and save 10% on your first month. That's BetterHelp H-E-L-P. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. A very lovely and beautiful band that Sluris White is. I'm so thrilled to, to have Jim and George and Guy back on this show. Sorry again. For those of you hoping to hear from George at the end with nature called. Wait, that made it sound like I had to go to the bathroom. The thunder and the lightning called and we lost. You heard what happened. That was that was weird. But anyway, I hope you enjoyed that conversation. Thank you for listening to it. And thanks again to all of them for appearing on this show, which happens to be the 768th episode of Creative Control, which is part of the Entertainment One Podcast Network and is available almost wherever you get your podcasts. If you can't find an episode that you're looking for, or if you want to learn more about me and sign up for my monthly newsletter, please visit vishkana.com and like Creative Control on Facebook or follow the show currently on Twitter at vishcreative, or you can follow me directly on Twitter and on Instagram at vishkana. Also, please visit patreon.com slash creative control to make a flexible monthly donation to sustain this podcast. Uh, That is the primary source of clean revenue. For this podcast. So if you like the show and you want to support it, that would be great. $6 American or more a month grants you access to exclusive content. You get the episodes earlier than everybody else. You get bonus content. Uh, If you're interested in receiving a Creative Control t-shirt, just message me on Patreon and I'll get you one while supplies last. You don't have to donate $6, by the way. It can be any amount you want. Some people do less. Some people do more. Some people adjust based on their budgets or whatever. It's nice. It's good. You could, uh, I appreciate it. If you have the means, please support the show on Patreon. It means a lot. Thank you. Speaking of thanks, thanks to Pizza Trocadero, The Bookshelf, and Planet Bean Coffee in Guelph, and Granddad's Donuts in Hamilton for their in-kind support for this show. As always, thanks to my friend Jim Guthrie for lending me some music of his for this show. You can learn more about Jim at jimguthrie.org. And finally, thank you so much for listening to this episode featuring uh, Jim and George and Guy uh, to talk about uh, Slurus White. I hope you'll check out all of their albums. They're wonderful. I love them so much. I've seen them live several times. They're the best. And this new record's really lovely. And uh, it's available via Drag City. So thanks to the people at Drag City for facilitating this. And that's it. Thank you for listening. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope you're doing well. I'll talk to you soon, I hope. I mean, this way. Maybe not... You may not talk to me. You could. You could talk to me right now. Maybe you're talking to me right now. Should I listen? I feel like I'm doing all the talking. Anyway, I'm going to go and end this weirdness right now. Thanks again. Talk to you soon. I mean, you know what I mean. Bye for now.
Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50% to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt. Now imagine them getting even softer over time. That's what you'll feel with Bowling Branch's organic cotton sheets. In a recent customer survey, 96% replied that Bowling Branch sheets get softer with every wash. Start getting your best night's sleep in these sheets that get softer and softer for years to come. Try their sheets with a 30-night guarantee. Plus, get 15% off your first order at BowlingBranch.com. Code BUTTERY. Exclusions apply. See site for details.